Welcome to Ono, oh Ross, and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Watcher. And over in the other corner, we have David Stewart. In the other corner. Weighing in at... Yeah, no, how you much don't, do you, you don't have to... <laughs> <laughs> Too much. He's a, no, he's oh, a tall gentleman true. and he wears he's it well. Tall. Thank he's you. He's, uh, he's vegetarian, so he's quite slender. You may remember David Stewart from our Amazing Facts episodes. We talked about him and his presentations. We attended many of them. How many was it? 20? 25? 27. 27. 27. Well, we didn't go to all 27. Yeah, we went to maybe 22 20, yeah, or 23 or something, something like, like that. that. But we have David Stewart here now. In Welcome, Ross's David. apartment. Thank you. It's good to be here, Ross and Carrie. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure. We had talked to you after we had released our, well, really our first episode. We had mm-hmm. continued the conversation with you. You had responses and we had really hoped that you'd be able to come on the show and just follow up. We wanted to hear your perspective. And you did. Yes, I'm here. Here you are. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we really appreciate this because uh, we were just talking about this before we started recording. Not everybody takes us up on this offer. It takes a certain amount of bravery, but also like, you know, really belief in Belief in your beliefs, you know, like a certain amount of integrity. Yeah, I really respect that. Absolutely. Well, I must say I uh, enjoyed listening to your program. Uh, It was humbling at times, but it was also helpful to kind of get an outsider's viewpoint, which I don't normally get. I must say this is the first time I've ever heard a real evaluation from an outsider at our meetings. Mm. You know, we get quite a range of responses, including conversions, but also on the other end of the spectrum, people that just stop attending and slam Mm. their door in our face when we come to visit them. And Mm. Meaning when you come like to someone's door? Yeah, usually we try to meet with people that have shown a substantial interest in our meetings and go and try to see where they're at if they have questions. And at that point, they will shut the door on you? Some will, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and for some people, all it takes is teaching one thing they disagree with, and then suddenly you're Mm. like the enemy to them and not a friend anymore. Oh, wow. Like we just had a lady at our last meeting. She was very enthusiastic, her and her husband. But then when we covered what happens when you die and she disagreed with it, suddenly Mm. she wanted nothing to do with us like we had a disease or something. So anyway- You were messing with her potential relationship. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a grandma that's in heaven that she- wants to keep in heaven or I don't know. Oh, Life right. is complicated. Yeah. But anyway, so back to your show, I uh, it was interesting to hear your feedback and perspective on things we covered. And, and actually, I learned some things that have helped me to improve. Like uh, I've already changed my health talk. And so now I include Daniel 1. Oh, cool. As the <laughs> oh, great. starting point <laughs> Excellent. of that presentation, which makes total sense. Even though it's in the handout we give, it makes sense to kind of highlight that in the- Tie it in, in the, since it all starts with Daniel. Yeah, right. So kind of go back to Daniel 1 after kind of leaving the book of Daniel for a while, but this is kind of where it all started and his faithfulness to God and his health. So yeah, so thank you for that. Certainly. Well, that's really great to hear. I could tell from our first discussion when we met before at my work that you had paid really close attention to that first episode. And so not only had you listened to our episodes, but you listened very carefully and- our words resonated, at least in as much as you, you really remember the things that we said about, about you and the people there and also the presentation itself. Uh, so we, we'd love to hear more about you know, your reactions and kind of unpack that. 
and and also we'd be interested in hearing your critique of us it kind of in the mm-hmm. in the reverse well probably one of the things i wanted to mention that kind of kept coming up especially with carrie uh, oh boy! Is the fact <laughs> that um, you know we weren't right up front about being Seventh Day Adventists mm, from the mm-hmm. very beginning, both in the advertising as well as in the actual presentations. Mm, yeah, and mm-hmm. you know a legitimate critique or concern about that is: Are you trying to hide something? Are you trying to be deceptive? There's a perception of deception. Yeah, but you know this is thought out, and I'm not the first person to use this kind of method. I don't know if you've ever heard of the messianic secret. If you go on Wikipedia, you can check that out. It doesn't but ring is a that, bell for is me. That, have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever stolen anything? No, it's really about Jesus oh, okay. and as a Messiah. <laughs> Way off. And okay. That's yeah. the right comfort uh, Yeah, line. that's what I'm yeah. thinking it's really, of, yeah. it's really about Jesus. Why at times did he try to downplay who he was? Like mm. he told the demons. Yeah, don't go tell anybody don't about tell what anybody. just happened. And like even his disciples ah. in Matthew 16, 20, the Bible says, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Right, uh-huh. which seems so counterintuitive. Sure. Right, doesn't he want everybody to know he's the Messiah and accept him as the Messiah? And so why did he downplay it at times? And you know, it's interesting because depending on who his audience is, uh, you see either more openness about his Messiahship or more downplaying it. And I, I really think it comes down to, you know, the Jewish leaders for the most part opposed Christ and his ministry. And so there was a lot of prejudice there and barriers. And he knew that the sooner it came out who he was claiming to be and the claims of his disciples, the more prejudice there would be and the more mm. opposition. Okay. That's so what I would have assumed that maybe if you put out that label right away, then people would judge you by their understanding of the label, Seventh-day right. Adventist. Right. I mean, there are people who have come with a sincere heart to our meetings and, you know, I think a lot of how you take the seminar really comes down to kind of your attitude. What notions you come in with. Yeah, and whether you come with an open mind or you're coming just to critique what we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Jesus said in John seven seventeen, if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, if you're willing to follow what I say and have an openness to it, then you'll know whether it's true or not. You know, a lot of people actually have told us, if I knew this was Seventh Day Adventist, I would have never come. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just like a child. You don't tell them everything all at once because they can't really handle it. You let them know what they need to know. And then eventually, it's not like you're lying, but you're not telling them everything because you don't want to arouse prejudice right from the beginning. So mm-hmm. that's the thought that goes into it. You may not like that, but that's... <laughs> uh-huh. Sure, I see you see me bopping my head from side to side. Right. I, I think um, you're also thinking about the fact that you directly asked the question. Yeah, I mean, I did ask you a few times. I, I guess what I'm thinking really is, because the Scientologists also make this argument, and maybe you're already aware of this, early when you first enter Scientology, they tell you just a little bit of their dogma, and okay. then and they kind of obfuscate what the real teachings are. And as you get more and more involved, they give you a little more and a little more, and they'll deny what these upper-level teachings are. And then once you finally get to their kind of high-ranking membership, they say, okay... What you've heard from the outside is actually true, but we couldn't tell you because you were kind of a baby Scientologist. And I guess I would ask you, do you think that that's acceptable for the Scientologists? I I can't really speak to another religion because I don't know as much probably as you do, Mm -hmm. having not really investigated them much. I mean, it's one thing to take things in baby steps and build upon what you're sharing. It's another to actually mislead or be deceptive about what your beliefs truly are. 
I feel like our seminar was more of a gradual unfolding when you actually have more of a foundation. Like you'll notice the first time we talked about the mark of the beast, we didn't come right out and say it's Sunday worship enforced by law. Right. Right. Uh, You don't even know who the beast is yet at that point. But then once you start realizing who we believe the Bible is identifying as that power, then it makes more sense. Mm -hmm. People are more open to hearing it if they already have the background on all this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I probably should have been more upfront with you when you start asking directly. I don't think I ever lied, but I just kind of put you off. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because I think our show is premised on something very much the same and in reverse in that we come in and we want to experience exactly how ideas are presented. And we don't say upfront, hey, we are reporters, we mm-hmm. do a show because we feel we would get a different treatment. Mm-hmm. And, right. and that's something I even wanted to ask you is, do you think if someone came to you now or if we'd come to you before and said, hey, we do a podcast, we come from a secular standing point and a Christian background, do you think you would have treated us differently or maybe presented your presentation in, in a different way? I, I definitely don't think I would have treated either of you differently on a personal level because I really do try to get to know my guests, no matter what their background and persuasion And uh, I think I would have thought it was fascinating you're doing a show about it, but I probably would have been more mindful of who my audience was when I was sharing from the front. When I know who's in my audience, I try to be more sensitive to what I say. Like I probably wouldn't have told any atheist jokes. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, if I have Mormons in the audience, usually when I talk about the judgment and everything going on in 1844 and some of the negative things I think that were happening at the same time that I believe God was doing his work in the heavenly sanctuary... I usually take out that information about Joseph Smith because I figure it's... Out of respect. Yeah, out of respect. And it's like the mileage you get by bringing it up is outweighed (laughs) by the reaction of people. But obviously, uh, the Antichrist power is so much a central part of prophecy, I can't sugarcoat that one too much. Mm -hmm. But if I do have Catholics in the audience, I do try to be more gentle, Mm -hmm. take more quotes out and stuff. So it does affect what I present. I don't know. I'm trying to think how I would have done it differently had I known you were doing this podcast from day one. But I think it would have affected a little bit. I don't think it would have affected the main thrust but I might have tweaked it here and there. I I mean, I appreciate that. That's an honest answer. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, Ross, because one of our personal rules that we've had for several years now is even though we don't go in announcing, hey, we do the show, we do have this rule. But if we're directly asked, we give a direct answer. And uh, this actually came up recently. We did a UFO investigation in this amphitheater of a few hundred people. They asked, well, who doesn't believe in UFOs? And we were like, oh, shoot. We didn't (laughs) expect this to actually be just directly asked. But, you know, we raised our hands. We were the only people because we felt like, okay, we were directly asked. You have to give a direct answer. So, So as you're investigating different religions and groups and whatever, have you ever found yourself kind of going along, maybe even pretending to be something you're not? Like, have you ever been like baptized into a church where you really weren't sincerely wanting to be baptized, for instance, or anything like that? One of our early investigations was into the Mormon church. And funny enough, they call you investigators when you're going through the process. And we were very forthright with them about our doubts and mm-hmm. and particular doctrines that we were having a hard time fully incorporating. And this was over a period of six months. And as we were telling our elders this, they were saying, well, we still feel that going that extra step and undergoing the baptism will give you that assurance that you need. Because for the Mormons, the burning in the bosom is a real assurance that what Joseph Smith said was true and that he is a prophet. And so they felt, okay, if we can kind of jump to that surety, we can work back. So so we were honest about our doubts, and we did go through the baptism, but we still are not quite sure if we went too far with that. Yeah, I remember saying to them, well, you know, you say 
Faith is small as a mustard seed. I'd say mine is even smaller than a mustard seed. Like, how small are we talking? <laughs> they were like, any any amount, any amount is fine. So they were willing to accept you even though they knew you had doubts about the beliefs? Mm-hmm. But did you ultimately have to like agree to a certain set of beliefs? Not when you're baptized. Baptism. Kind of. Well, yeah. No, we, oh, we met with, uh, an with a bishop and you had to sort of list this belief set. I mean, we are we're reaching back to 2011 now, so I'm trying to remember the exact statements we had to make. But I do recall like making a set of baptismal statements. And as I recall, they kind of coached us through how we could say it to be fully consistent with our internal misgivings. Right. I okay. think that's right. Okay. But but wow. that is But a it's it's a fair question. The questions you're asking are fair, yeah. you know. And and yeah. this is an investigation that we both, I think, if we undertook today, we might feel differently about it. Yeah. This has been a learning process for and both it's of a us constant over introspection and a tightrope yeah. balance we walk because both of us came from a background where we were people of faith and then we left that you know and and had to deal with all of the coming out and the social implications of that and i think both of us are committed that if we found truth in a different direction we'd follow it no matter what it is so we do walk into these investigations with a mindset but also hopefully an openness to fully hear Mm -hmm. what's being said and process it and as you heard on the show we just unpack exactly what our reactions are Yeah. Well, probably one of the ways you're fairly unique in terms of the typical guests that come to my meetings, Mm -hmm. most people come believing in the Bible, Mm -hmm. believing in God. Most people are already Christian. Not not everybody, but most people are already Christian. Mm -hmm. And so um, that gives me a much different audience than someone who, I don't know if you guys believe in God or you're agnostic, but I get the sense from listening to your podcasts that not only did you have some critiques of what I presented, but you also don't fully accept what the Bible teaches or whether Jesus is really God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sometimes I was having trouble just differentiating whether this is like really a... Mm a knock on God or the Bible or what our <laughs> particular brand of Christianity. That's and so totally that was sometimes fair. kind of confusing. I, I realize I make that specifically me. I make that more confusing because I jump into that mindset of the Christian, I think yeah. pretty easily and, and all my kind of historical understanding of the Bible. And so I'm kind of comparing what you're saying to what I was raised with, which is still very much a part of me. It, you said just before we started recording that I do a very good impersonation of the man in the gold suit. And I assume that's meaning that I'm very good at pontificating on my ideas on scriptural exegesis. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Or that I'm obnoxious. (laughs) But yeah, but there was enough sarcasm that I know that there's probably a real skepticism for the most part of the Bible and Christianity in general. Yeah, so, no, I mean, you're right. I, oh, I would. You're correct. I yeah. mean, just so that you're not feeling that this question is left open ended, I mean, I would call myself an agnostic philosophically, but an atheist practically. You know, philosophically, I say, there's no way I could know. But I live my life with the assumption that since I can't know, there's probably not a God. But I, I w- could easily change my mind. I, I would agree with that too. I would say I'm agnostic, but to a very high degree where I feel the likelihood of God existing is very small. But of course, I will keep open that window just in case something causes me to reconsider. And so many people define God in so many different ways. uh, We have to then talk about what kind of God we're defining. But it's funny that you picked up on what you did because Ross will sometimes say we when he's talking about uh, evangelical Christians because it's so still inbred in my culture. And I still read books of uh, apologetics regularly and I still attend church and it's hard to separate that for me. So what is the real goal of your show? 
besides just general interest on the paranormal, the fringe science and spirituality. Uh-huh. So what is your like? You have such a good memory. I love it. So, so what is like the real goal of the show besides entertaining people in these particular areas? You know, this is really interesting. Someone just interviewed us and he felt like he was a very bad interviewer. But one of his questions was, well, what's the lesson of your show? And then immediately apologized for that question, said, oh, I'm so sorry. That's a bad question. We were like, no, nope. that's a good question. Good that's question. a great question. But Ross's answer was so good, which was basically, well, if you make a show for kids, but the entire point of the show is to teach the kids a lesson, you're probably going to make like a pretty bad kids show, right? You have to also make something that's just good and fun to watch. And Mm -hmm. I think that's right. I've been thinking about that a lot since you said that, Ross. I think if you make something that's just good and it's heartfelt, then all the things you naturally believe will just naturally and organically come out in it. So I hope that just lessons that we've learned come out in the show, but I don't cognitively think like, here's the lesson of our show. Do you? No, no, I I agreed with everything you just said. We both enjoy the experience so much, both the psychology and the content of belief and the experience the varieties of religious experience. I think it was just a natural outcropping that we wanted to do this and the show gave us an excuse to talk about it and unpack it. What's the point of your work? To convert people to accept Christ fully and prepare people for the second coming of Jesus. Okay, I'm, I'm going to jump to a question that I had for okay. you. I want okay. to ask you. Because I don't, I don't want to ask you, when do you think Jesus is coming back? Obviously, that's not a fair question, and I know what qualifications you would have there. But can you finish this sentence? I would be very surprised if Jesus had not returned by... <laughs> that's just the same way of asking the question, Ross. <laughs> but it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't... It sets a range, at least, where you know I'd be surprised if Jesus didn't return in 30 years, or by the time yeah. I died, or by the time in I... In my lifetime. Okay. And I'm 50. So life's about half over for me. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying he for sure is going to come in the next 50 years, but I'm expecting to come in my lifetime. I'd be surprised if he doesn't the way the world's going. So remember everybody, uh, David is a Seventh-day Adventist. They do live longer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. What's the average Seventh-day Adventist lifespan? 89 years old. Okay, so we've got 39 years. Yeah. Is, are those prophetic but I'm years? I'm hoping to be better than the average. <laughs> Ross. Ross is ruining it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but okay. I, did, yeah, yeah. I, I must give it to you. That was one of the lines I appreciated was, what's going to end first? <laughs> yeah. The seminar or the world? <laughs> <laughs> and that was another thing. If we'd have told you how long the whole thing was, you probably wouldn't have come. And I know you said, well, topics that can include like subtopics or uh-huh. that's not necessarily titles, but you know. I can say I was having a fun time all throughout. Okay. Yeah. You pro- Ross would have been like 20. It's only 20? <laughs> well, I'm not going because it's not 50. Yeah. I, and yeah. I, I felt that your message gave so much to think upon, to chew upon. It's, it's very substantial. There's a lot in there. Speaking of chewing, I wanted to say you do have a convert. You have Ross. Because Ross is a new vegetarian. Awesome. You had an effect on me. And every time somebody asks me, because they always do, oh, why did you go vegetarian? The first thing I say is, well, I was attending a Seventh-day Adventist lecture series. And the talk convinced me. I thought, if if for their reasons, they can uh, be vegetarian, why can't I for my own reasons? Why can't I right. be consistent with my own morality? And, you know, your experience is typical of how I believe God works and the Holy Spirit works. And that is, it wasn't just this event. Um, there were other things that led up to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like knowing Carrie's Carrie in, for eight years. Yeah, Carrie's influence, <laughs> other people, and you know how they treat animals. Yes. 
But sometimes, you know, it does take, the Bible calls it the foolishness of preaching to convict people of certain things. And so I'm glad that it had an effect for you, you know. It, so it, that's a good thing. Carrie planted many seeds. Yes. <laughs> and, and grew a... And now there's a harvest. A beautiful <laughs> yes. kale salad. But I, a very but edible a, harvest. But I do have a question about that. Yeah. You, on your podcast, you said that if they can be vegetarian for kooky reasons, uh-huh. then I ought to be a vegetarian for my reasons. So what did you think was kooky about what we presented about why to be vegetarian? Oh, for a second, they said cookie reasons. And no, I was like, kooky. are there kooky? Kooky. Are there and, I, and that was surprised me a little bit. So yeah. maybe you could tell me what you meant by that, oh, if you remember. That was me being flip and just okay. saying, I, I was kind of lumping in everything we've heard as, you know, being behind this, the biblical arguments wouldn't apply to me. But Using the word kooky is kind of the equivalent of what you were saying. If, if you're speaking to a Catholic audience, you're going to pull out certain phrases. And that's certainly not something that that's the one aspect of our show is that we are talking to this audience that is to a large extent similar minded to us. And so they like words like that. You know, we try not to say things like crazy and kooky. I, if I had it to do over again, I probably wouldn't. All the health reasons aren't kooky. Okay. I think just to put it on a different lens, I think you just meant like the spiritual reasons. Mm-hmm. For you, it's these more material reasons. Yeah, it was very much lumping, you know, lists of animals as listed in the Bible, you know, the unclean birds and stuff like that. You know. And for yeah. Ross, it has less to do with these spiritual arguments or these textual arguments. It's all about the health arguments that you presented. Yeah. And then the sort of shorter things you said about the animals. Okay. I, I would say for me, the, the ethical issue of the animals, that's paramount for me in my consideration. And then the environmental impact of animal farming. Right. And those are, for me, the most important. I would say health is next, but significantly farther down. Okay. So that was, that was me throwing out a line there, a laugh line that wasn't probably well considered. So can I ask you a more, maybe more significant question? Sure. So- and I'm going to ask some big assumptions, but assuming that you believe the Bible, take it as truth, okay? Oh, and yeah, that that's a your assumption, okay. It is. I understand that. But you do come in to some degree kind of comparing what we say to the Bible since that's the foundation of what we teach, right? Sure. So yeah. you do you may not acknowledge the Bible is true or that you think it has error or whatever, but assuming the Bible is true, what did you think about what we shared and taught? And whether it was really, for the most part, faithful to the text compared to other religions that you've investigated or maybe even grew up in. Good I know question. that's a, I know it's a big question, but yeah, I'm just curious I, over overall kind yeah. of internal consistency. One thing that stands out to me in particular is the discussion of hell, where I think what you are preaching is far more consistent with the text of the Bible, and and I think we said that in the show that that I think. That is a more consistent view scripturally, though I would say that there are verses that don't fit in. And I would say that those crooked fence posts, they're just legitimately authors who disagreed with each other Mm -hmm. rather than trying to find a way to write them and make it 100% consistent. Uh, But yeah, I thought that that was particularly cogent. And I thought, oh, if I was still a believer, I would definitely incorporate that into my beliefs. Similarly, I feel the same way about heaven. Mm. This idea that people just go immediately to heaven, I don't think has much scriptural basis. But mm-hmm. there's clearly a basis for something happening. Everybody all together once, you know, Jesus has returned. So, yeah. I, and I remember looking, I think I said this on the show, but I remember looking at those verses as a, a Sunday school going youth and being like, this is not what I'm being taught. This is not adding up. So, yeah, I feel like yours is more faithful to the text. What I did feel thrown for a loop by was a little bit of the Ellen White stuff, if I'm being honest. Um, sure. You know, and I went home and I read a little bit about her and I know this is a touchy subject, so I feel 
awkward even bringing it up, but I felt more persuaded by the argument that, oh, this seems like a woman who maybe had epilepsy or had her own health issues going on that could more easily explain this than that she got direct visions from God. Okay. Well, one thing I would say about that is a lot of times I find that people that mostly focus on what the critics say about her and her life if they would actually take time to read what she wrote, and I know that's an investment of time. <laughs> I've uh, been they, trying. They would actually find that what she wrote outweighs the critics and what they say. I don't know if you went to the Ellen, official Ellen White website, but they actually respond to all those claims. Like, were their visions true or is it a result of epilepsy? In fact, I was just reading about that today. Hmm. And, you know, they, they respond to all the critics' arguments. And I think there are reasonable arguments on the responses that they give. But to me... What's most important is evaluating what she says for myself. Mm -hmm. Like if all I did was look at what the critics say or the supporters of Ellen White, what do they say about her versus go directly to the source and say, what what has she actually written? Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? Has it been verified by science, for instance? And like you pointed out on your show, it's not like she invented all these new health concepts in the 1800s. Like for instance, tobacco. There are already people that said smoking's bad. Yeah. But- You'll find that with even with health in the 1800s, there was a wide range of beliefs that are that have been solidly proven through, through science. But there are also a lot of, if I could use the word kooky, <laughs> there are also a lot of kooky ideas like fruits are bad for you, um, don't give the children too much water, and don't have the windows open at night with fresh air. And she had an amazing way, if all she did was borrow from what other people said, she had an amazing way of picking and choosing what has now been verified by science. In other words, like I read this book where it compared her and the other health reformers of her day. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to compare the accuracy of the things that she claimed that have been verified by science versus the others mm-hmm. that were health reformers. Did so, she get some things wrong? Not that it's been disproven through science, but some of the things she said hasn't actually been proven yet. Hmm. Yet. Okay. I was going to ask in our earlier conversation, now that we're talking about Ellen White, did she think... Jesus would return in her lifetime. She did when she was a young girl, and she probably had that hope her whole life, I'm sure. But sometimes people confuse the great disappointment of 1844 with the Adventist church being wrong or Ellen White being wrong. Keep in mind that in 1844, she had yet not yet been called to the prophetic ministry. She hadn't had her first vision yet. Mm-hmm. And the Adventist church hadn't even been formed. Now, it did come out of the people that were part of the Millerite movement that believed Jesus was coming in 1844 and were disappointed when he didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But like I explained in the seminar, just like when Jesus died on the cross, his disciples misunderstood his ministry, but that didn't forever discredit them. Once they had more knowledge, as I like to say, their great disappointment turned into a great appointment. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that God used the Millerite movement in the 1844 to kind of jumpstart his Advent movement at the end. You were talking about how one prophet, prophet A, will then lay the ground for the later prophet B. Right. And their message then comes at the applicable time. And I I can't help but look at, you know, to jump to the Mormons again for a moment, I can't help but look at the Latter-day Saints and wonder how long can the latter days be and still be days. That book was written in 1830 and... Now we're almost 200 years later, and the end still hasn't come. At at what point can you kind of reasonably say that Prophet B wasn't really of her time? Well, and by the way, this might be a good 
trying to bring up the fact that I've never claimed, and there was a misunderstanding. I never said William Miller was a prophet, mm. or oh, that I said okay. he was prophet B. I never tried to hold him up as a prophet. Ah, okay. I'm he okay. was just to help that. give a background to where Ellen White came out of. Okay, that okay. Okay. that had confused me because I yeah. thought I was hearing. I both never of them said he prophets. met the biblical tests, or you'll notice I didn't spend much time on him or any of his writings. But okay. anyway, but strike back- that from the record. Sure. Thank you, Your Honor. <laughs> no, but in terms of Ellen White, or even this concept of the latter days, mm-hmm. um, again, I have to go with the Bible timeline rather than mine or the world's. And from what I can tell from the study of Scripture, 1844 was the last time prophecy. It's not the last prophecy, but it's the last prophecy attached to a particular time frame. Those 2300 And even years. though it's been a long time since 1844, in the grand scheme of the history of the world, it's still not that long a period. You know, it's all relative. It seems like but, it was reasonable for him to think that that would be the day of Christ's return. Right. And, you know, I think there's been times Christ wanted to return since then, but things weren't ready. Ah. Mainly his people not ready. I picture him up there the with work. like a bowl of ramen being like, I want to go down, but... Uh. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, th- I think he's waiting for more people to accept him as the Messiah and, hmm. and God, mm-hmm. so. Okay. Yeah, I do feel like there's just a lot of, I don't know, fuzzy math, just a lot of- Oh, on the prophecies? Yeah. I mean, so you asked, if I if I do accept the Bible is true, do I feel like your presentations were internally consistent with the Bible? I'm paraphrasing, but that was my interpretation of your question. Sure. And- both in those prophecies from Miller and White and in your presentation. I don't know. I just, I felt like, okay, I can kind of, I can see what you're saying. It's not that it's out of nowhere, but I have to make some mental leaps to really go with you. I really have to buy that this is what a day means. This is what those letters mean. And I'm just not, I don't feel like I'm on solid ground to make that journey with you. There are a few spots I could point out where I would say that on a biblical level, I felt that we jumped off the the wagon. Okay. Uh, Like, for example, that in the bosom of Abraham moment, Abraham and Lazarus, that story I felt didn't resonate with the teaching of the Bible. Jesus could have been far more clear there if he was intending to to say what was being taught in the seminar. Well... But you know, I don't want a nickel and dime you on it either, you know. Yeah, and I recognize that there's quite a variety of background of people that come to these meetings, and a lot of people are ready to follow what we're teaching hook, line, and sinker, and they're like, yes, this is truth, I want to follow it. And other people, you know, I want to study this out more. If all we did was stimulate more an interest in studying and bringing up issues that you may not have thought of before, but you'd like to investigate more, then that's good, that's good. And you know, I don't expect people to just accept everything I've taught, but I guess I, I would challenge your listeners. It's one thing, like one of the the uh, advertisements for your show is we go, we, we listen so you don't have to or whatever. Mm. But, <laughs> you know, there's a reason we don't allow hearsay in courtrooms because it's not as good as the original source. Mm. Sure. And so even though, yeah, it's interesting and, and people can benefit some from hearing secondhand what we presented. I would challenge someone to go directly to what we're teaching, like at the Amazing Facts website. Like Doug Batcher has several prophecy seminars that are on the Amazing Facts website, like Landmarks of Prophecy and the Prophetic Code. And, you know, listen to it for yourself. Yeah. Oh, I I, I definitely would never discourage anybody who is interested in from going to something. So you don't have to. It's just kind of a nod to the vicarious nature of listening to us talk about our experience. I'm just going to interrupt David there for a second to talk to you guys about Maximum Fun. Ross, have you ever heard of Maximum Fun? Yeah, that sounds familiar. I have a positive association with this Maximum 
fun is it? Yes, yes. Now, you don't want to confuse correlation and causation there. It might be <laughs> that you're, you know, associating the two, but one isn't really causing the other. I'm, but in this case, I think. I'm pretty sure that maximum causes a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think max fun, you'll find, causes <laughs> a lot of fun in your ears, like this show here. Following the news is hard and it sucks. How do you know which stories are important? Which sources do you trust in this post-truth world of reactionary journalism? I'm Brett Black. And I'm Travis McElroy. And we host a podcast called Trends Like These. We cover trending news stories. We debunk misleading clickbait headlines. And we always try to throw in a little bit of good news. In our quest for truth. So join us every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Also from Maximum Fun, we now have a Jumbotron. What? What? Jumbotron message. This is the biggest Tron there could be. What's a larger Tron, a Maximum Tron or a Jumbotron? I guess Maximum by definition, right? (laughs) Sure. But this is a pretty big Tron. Yeah. (laughs) And this one is from Sarah to Charlie. Hey, Charles, I know you've been having a hard time lately, so I thought I'd send you a message of love through two of your favorite podcasters. You're amazing, and you can do this. It's really nice. Yeah. I hope Charlie's doing well. I would love to have a friend like Sarah. You've got a friend in Charles. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We have something else exciting to tell you about. Yes, in the tune of Disney Tunes. Carrie's been working on a fun project that's now ready for you to listen to. Yes, so I now co-host a second podcast but i know it's called hidden mickeys and it's sort of the underbelly of disney oh i know this is why ross doesn't co-host this one (laughs) yeah it's all the fun kind of hidden mysterious and conspiracy stuff but not seedy right no seeds (laughs) you don't do anything related to seeds totally on the up and up right right yeah no it's it's all fun and it's all disney love but also i'm looking forward to it yeah but also all the like the dark conspiratorial stuff that people load on to disney because there's a lot there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My co-host is Natalie Palomitas of the Powerpuff Girls, and she's awesome. Wait, she's a voice from the Powerpuff Girls? Yeah, she's one of the Powerpuff Girls. That's amazing. Which one is she? Buttercup. Whoa. Mm Mm-hmm. How cool is that? Very. So our first episode's out. We're releasing our second episode soon, and you should come hear it. Look for Hidden Mickeys. And now we take you back to our interview with David Stewart. But maybe you guys could help me because on the one hand... You continually pointed out that sometimes we beat a dead horse. Oh, I've heard this. They review it so many times. We've heard it so long. It's such a drawn out seminar. But then on the other, other hand, you're saying that there were some areas where maybe we moved too quickly mm-hmm. or the mass fuzzy. I need to investigate it more. So I'm curious, like maybe you could help me understand what I could have stressed more versus stressed less because there was some fatigue syndrome going on with you guys <laughs> and thinking, oh, you're beating a dead horse. But on the other hand, some of these areas you thought I went too fast maybe and didn't explain it well enough for you to really get where I was going or accept it. So Yeah, I'd be hard pressed to think of too many specific examples of parts to expand. I know I remember I mentioned that, especially in certain areas of prophecy where there was number crunching going on. I felt there were a few times where all those numbers were thrown very quickly and only once and 
I could have used some more explanation of that. And then I I think if we're talking about dead horses, one that we both felt was thoroughly covered was the Sabbath itself and the importance of the Sabbath or or even just proving that Sabbath should be on Saturday. That's another good example of a time where you convinced me very quickly. And I said, oh, okay, you're right. Mm -hmm. If if churches were fully consistent, they would worship on Saturday. Yeah, that was a sort of done and done. And then, oh, there's a couple more of these. Now, for you guys that may not be going to church on Sunday, worshiping God, you come from a different point of view. And and so it may not be a big deal. And Mm -hmm. in five minutes, maybe you're convinced on the Sabbath and think, oh, what's the big deal? Sure. But for people that have are really ingrained in a Sunday church, Mm -hmm. it takes more than five minutes. It takes some serious conviction and, and, um, fair point. So that's why one of the reasons it's stressed also from our point of view, the book of revelation in connection with the mark of the beast really emphasizes how worship is a big part of the mark of the beast and true loyalty to God involves true worship. And so, you know, the Bible gives several verses that connect God as the creator with that's the reason we worship him, mm. like Revelation 4.11, Revelation 14.7. If you believe God is the creator and that's the basis for worship, then you start realizing that the Sabbath is very important because it's the memorial of his creation, that he is the creator, and it does play a big part in prophecy. Because I think at one point you guys asked on the podcast, what does this have to do with prophecy, the Sabbath? But mm-hmm. remember... One it of the did char- lead up later, but at that moment we could not yeah. see the connection. And one of the right. connection, one of the characteristics for the Antichrist in Daniel 7.25 is he thinks to change times and laws. Right. So I what's mean, the law having to do with time? It's the Sabbath, and you start realizing it does play a big part in the end time... Scenario. Right. So. And I think we saw that by the end of it. But, oh, you know, okay. by then we kind of lost some cohorts and <laughs> or lost interest. And, and, yeah. And, <laughs> maybe, and maybe you maybe said it, but, but you might emphasize this will play in later to the end times. Right. I know we're talking a lot about the Sabbath here, but trust me, it does. It does mm-hmm. become relevant later. That that alone might have just primed us. Oh, OK, well, we need to pay attention right. to this. But as for like what things should be lengthened or shortened, I wasn't ever like, oh, wait, you moved too fast. I just felt like, oh, I wasn't persuaded on that point. And maybe the points I'm telling you I wasn't persuaded on, you're hearing that and thinking, if I expanded that, she'd understand better. And if that's the case, then, you know, you know better than I, you know, I don't know really how to, you know, advise you on that just because I don't know what the argument is, you know. One of the things I gave you a hard time on was it was during a lecture that I missed, but Carrie was explaining to me that you had said that on the seventh day, God didn't rest because he was tired, but he was resting his case. And I remember I very explicitly said, oh, come on. No, because why would it be a day of rest for us rather than a day of resting our case? Yeah. Well, the word Sabbath actually does mean rest or to cease. And that's really what it was about is ceasing from his work. Okay. so Ceasing from his work. Just like when you rest your case, I'm done presenting my evidence. I'm done working to present evidence. Hmm. Okay. So that's what we're emulating. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry if that was confusing, but but um, then why even bring up the rest your case part? I don't know. You're just a lawyer. You just I know. I know. I, I'm such a humble bragger. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I did have some. Now you may not accept the source, and I can't say I've thoroughly exhausted the research, but I did have some basis for what I said about Alexander the Great having scars on the front. Oh, see, I don't even remember this. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Car- you Carrie, had a lot of fun with that one. Carrie didn't question whether it was true. She thought it was stupid. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> I thought you questioned whether I, I, you thought I'd I was like just pulling it out of the hat. She, no, she thought Alexander the Great was just an oh. idiot. Oh, okay. He cried because he had no more countries to defeat. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. I just thought, what, what, a, a, what a dummy. Yeah. <laughs> if you really cry because you have no more countries to defeat, then you sound like a real jerk. That's not impressive. That's just you having a weird psychosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because stop invading countries, Alexander. Right, cool right, it. right. Okay. So I had this book called The Opposite of Shame by Stephen Pressfield, and he quotes supposedly Alexander the Great. He says, these scars on my body, Alexander declared, were got for you, my brothers. Every wound, as you see, is in the front. Mm. Uh, Stephen Pressfield, was he the guy who wrote The uh, Legend of Bagger Vance? I'm not sure. <laughs> I read one sure. of his books about writing The Legend of Bagger Vance. I'm not sure. Oh, cool. If that's the right Pressfield. But you didn't read Bagger Vance. No. Himself. Why would I? So then he says, every wound... As you see is in the front, let that man stand forth from your ranks who has bled more than I or endured more than I for your sake. Show him to me and I will yield to your weariness and go home. And supposedly that carried the troops on to continue in battle. So, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway. we officially believe you. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I was doubting the veracity of that, <laughs> okay, but, but okay. okay. But I'm glad you uh, sourced it. Thank you. <laughs> Another point in you asking us kind of what could be cut out, I've mentioned just periods where we would be flipping through the Bible so quickly to kind of reestablish the same point many times. Mm-hmm. And I would say I was less impressed by the underlying theory or idea that all the Bible is completely consistent and that you can just grab this little section and then this little section and directly compare them. Because I'm thinking about the the gap of years and maybe even ideology between different authors. So that, that felt less convincing to me. I think maybe two verses would have been uh, more impactful than eight. Okay. But that's me, as much as I enjoy jumping around the Bible. I appreciated that you put page numbers, though. <laughs> Thank goodness. On the Bible? Yeah. yeah. This was a discussion we had where I purposefully ignore page numbers when I see that. Because Ross is proud that he knows where every book in the Bible is. But <laughs> I just think, why don't people just put the gosh darn page numbers up there so we can right. all just flip to them and not prove that we know where every book in the Bible is? Oh, it's because I'm obnoxious, yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad that. that was helpful. I remember now one of the other scriptural arguments that I had a problem with. And it wasn't one that you brought up, but one that I asked you about later. And that was the witch of Endor bringing up the spirit of Samuel. Samuel, right. And I felt that that was a direct contradiction. Contradiction, right. In what you were saying about the afterlife. Well, we take that that was an apparition or like a spirit imitating Samuel, even though the Bible makes it sound like it's actually Samuel. It really does. Yeah. And, And I think when we talked later, there was a moment at which you said, if I were writing the Bible, I would have written that differently. And I thought, wow, that says a lot because well, I think. Did I really say that? Pretty sure. Okay. Well, but you have can to be take careful back saying you that. Say. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. if that was the intended message, whoever the author is, or if God is ultimately the author, right. he, he could have clarified that considerably. Same with the bosom of Abraham. Right, right. Now, you did ask a question, Carrie. I think you specifically were wondering why, if God wanted to really give us a message in these prophecies, why did he put it in symbols? Mm, Why didn't he just tell us literally straightforward? Why is there symbolic language and stuff? Yeah. Um, I think there's a couple reasons for that. I'll just give you my opinion. Mm -hmm. One is these were written sometimes when there was hostile governments in control. And if they'd have been too direct about the powers that these represent, the message probably would have never got out, especially when Rome was in power. So they had to be more indirect. Jesus himself said to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of god but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see hearing they may not understand i think also god wants to reward people that really want to study and dig deep like if you're 
searching for treasure rather than just it's right out there for anybody to grab and it's taken for granted and not appreciated as much maybe. Hmm. That's just my opinion. Immediately. I see you're really convinced. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking, I mean, he's God. Is he really not more powerful than the Roman government? Well, but this is his way of operating to get it out. He was more powerful and it got out, but he had to do it in certain ways. And I also think of all the people who have been legitimately misled by those words and have definitely put in the effort to parse it and you know make predictions based on it and then you have the Harold Campings of the world. Do you know who Harold Camping is? Yeah. I could see the <laughs> I could see the look of recognition on your face. He's a competitor or was a competitor. Yeah, he's passed away. Right. Yeah. And you know others who have prognosticated and been wrong. Right. And so I just see that history of people getting it wrong but well-intentioned people. Yeah. I never question Harold Camping's Like sincerity. as you mentioned all the sincere Catholics. Right. And so how could they be so misled? I see that as a problem. Yeah. Although I think at the end of the day, if people really want to know the truth and are open to it, like that text John seven seventeen, I shared, if any man will to do his will, he will know whether it's true or not. I think the Holy Spirit leads people into truth. Let me ask you this. Sometimes different stages. Okay. And not everybody has full light when they die, like Martin Luther didn't. But I think God will lead them. Well, do you think if someone really sincere came upon all those verses by herself, and let's say she she lives in a really rural town, and she doesn't have access to amazing facts, do you think she'd come to the same conclusions you have? I think ultimately God would lead that person to that, yeah. It may not be on her own. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons we do these seminars is we're trying to share knowledge of, Mm -hmm. and it's not like I came up with all this interpretation myself. How much would you say is you versus Doug Batchelor? How much would you say is Ellen White in the content of the lectures themselves? I would say 95% of what I present is the Bible Bible. okay, interpretation Mm -hmm. of the Bible. That doesn't mean Ellen White didn't help me reach those conclusions, but you'll notice that most of what I presented wasn't about Ellen White or Ellen White said this, Ellen White said that. Sure. I I would typically say, let's turn to this verse, let's turn to that verse. Were you finding a lot of those verses or had those been in previous presentations? Well, okay, Amazing Facts Evangelists don't get a script. Mm -hmm. Amazing Facts doesn't say, here's your script, go preach this. They expect you to cover certain topics Okay. Uh, like the Sabbath, obviously the law, these different prophecies, but they give you a wide latitude on what you present. And it felt you, very personalized. And where you get the material. And I can't say I wrote all these from scratch, mm-hmm. but I made them my own. And, yeah. you know, I, I've benefited from lots of teachers. And, you know, teaching is a spiritual gift that God has given the church to help people understand it. So we need teachers. We need preachers. Oh, we yeah. need I, I definitely wasn't trying to accuse you of borrowing things or anything. I was just curious yeah. kind of how much latitude you had to make it your own. A lot of latitude, a lot of latitude. By the way, Doug Batchelor is not the founder of Amazing Facts. Right. It was Someone founded, else corrected us on this. It was in but, yeah. 1965, Joe Cruz I don't, and, and okay. a crew of people, really. It's been around since 1965, and I think Doug Batchelor came on board as the second director and current director and president. And by the way, a very nice guy. But he came on board around 1993, I think. Okay. And the ministry really has grown under his leadership. It's become quite a media presence. And I would say that in the Seventh-day Adventist Church worldwide, he's one of probably three people that are that would be the most recognized television personality preachers in the Adventist Church. Oh, okay. Has yeah. he performed any psychic surgeries on you? No. Okay. <laughs> and no one else that I know of since he became a Christian, really. Have you spent a lot of time with him personally? Not a lot, but some. Before I 
became an evangelist for Amazing Facts. I used to be a member of his church in Sacramento. Oh, okay. Okay, that's how I first got to know him. As far back as the early 90s, someone that my grandma knew gave me a book about him. It sat on the shelf. I didn't know who he was or anything about it until one day my roommate was watching an Adventist network called 3ABN. He goes, Dave, Dave, you got to come see this guy. It's really interesting. His mom was in Hollywood. His dad was an airline magnet. And uh, he's got a really interesting story. I go, I think I have a book about him, a richest caveman on the shelf. Hmm. And then I went and read it. And then shortly after that, there was a lady in my office in Riverside DA. She was a victim witness advocate supervisor. She said, do you know, uh, she goes, you're Seventh-day Adventist, right? I go, yeah. And she goes, do you know where I can get a book about a caveman? And I said, um, well, yeah, I just, are what you talking question. about Doug Batchelor? I said, are you talking about Doug Batchelor's book? You better be talking about Doug yeah. Batchelor. Yeah. We're going to get a book about have... a caveman. I'm going to write that down as entry one and things I've never heard before. And she goes, yeah, Doug Batchelor. I go, yeah. I go, well, how did you hear about him? He, she goes, you'll never believe this. She said, I couldn't believe my eyes the other day. I was watching TV and there's Doug Batcher. She says, I knew him when he lived in the cave. I was oh. one of the hippies that hung out with him in Palm Springs and we'd smoke pot together. But even then when he'd smoke pot, he loved to talk about God. Uh. And um, she knew him all those years back. And she's okay. been to the cave. And by the way, that cave is not easy to get to. It's not just like <laughs> okay. on the main street in Palm Springs. It's up a canyon. It's uh-huh. tough. I haven't been there myself. Okay. Uh-huh. There's Indian reservation that controls the area now, but it's if quite a hike. It's oh. not just an easy jog right. or a Before hike. you said reservation, I was going to say, if you ever want to go there, I'd happily hike with you. Yeah, I, I want to go. Hike. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. We, we should go explore it together. That, that would be, be fun. fun. Let's go, all go. We can do we a get Doug to take us. Oh, man. I just got heart flutters. Can we go to the cave? Oh, you know National we, Geographic. We're not flu- kidding. We would love to do that. Yeah, with you. we're not. We're yeah? not being okay. facetious. Well, maybe we'll, next time Doug's down here with Doug. Can- that would be fantastic. You know, one time National Geographic, where they were doing this thing on Revelation, and uh-huh. Doug Batcher was one of the people interviewed on the show, and they actually took a helicopter and flew him to the cave. Well, I tried to find this because he mentions it in his book, but I couldn't find it anywhere online. I mean, I'm sure it exists. I'm not questioning its yeah. existence, but I just couldn't find it. It's in Takowitz Canyon. I don't even know exactly where it is, but it's up toward Mount San Jacinto in the Idlewild. Right. Oh, oh. I meant the video. Yeah. I couldn't yeah, find yeah. the video. But yes, also the cave. You know, I only see Doug a couple times a year because I'm usually on the road doing these meetings. But before I was even an evangelist, I went to a gym night that the Sacramento Central Church was involved with, and I locked my keys in my car. And Doug Batcher happened to be walking by at the time. He says, I have some experience breaking into cars. And oh, he yeah. Got me, he got my keys right out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I yep. think you'd mentioned that at one point. That's okay. hilarious. Okay, yeah, yeah. Early on in Amazing Facts, did it start as like a radio show or a newsletter? And I think they would lead each broadcast with an amazing fact, something. Yes. Kind of a Ripley's Believe It or Not sort right. of fact. It started off as a radio program where exactly that. They'd start off with an amazing, interesting fact. Are you ever tempted to do that? Kind of lead off each lecture just with a, a fun fact? Well, you got Lowell. I do once in a while, but not always. But it just yeah, seems like it would be a fun nod yeah, to the original could be, spirit. Yeah. Without Lowell there, do you just feel naked? Well, you know, it's interesting because every seminar I do, you have a very different personality as the pastor who serves as the host. Uh-huh. And this is the second time I've worked with Lowell. I did a series with him in Seattle. Ah. Okay. That's how he knew to invite me here to Burbank. You know, he's a really nice guy. He's the best. <laughs> oh, yeah. We love he's Lowell. A, he's a really fun guy, really sincere. And he likes to win people over with humor and stuff. So. And breakfast. Yeah. And breakfast. And when he says, oh, I'm 47, we just believe him because he looks yeah. like he could be 47. Right. And he's like, I'm yeah. just kidding. I'm 74. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, he does look sure. pretty good. Yeah. Gil, had you ever worked with Gil before? First and only time. Okay. And I don't I don't know what he's up to right now. Okay. I can't find him rapping online. I really wanted to find him rapping. You know, did you ever ask him for a clip? 
No, I asked him his rapping name, which he said was Gizmo with two Zs. Mm -hmm. And I looked that up and I found an African-American gentleman Oh, by that name. Okay, clearly, clearly wasn't him. <laughs> well, do you have his contact information? Because we uh -uh. could probably try to get a hold of him if he's willing to give up the goods. Maybe we can get on the show sometime. Yeah. Hey, Kill oh man, it's rapping. I would love that. He did kind of. When I asked about it, I felt like he was kind of brushing me off, like that's my old life. Yeah, yeah so. leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you right. don't want to see this yeah. rap. Which is fair. Yeah, yeah. sure. I'm not okay. gonna make him rap for me, but. Yeah. If he wants to share it, I would love it. Another thing I was going to bring up just about the nature of our show is that you and many other evangelists have shared stories of people who came in with one intent, but then were won over by the message and then became some of the strongest proponents of an idea. And I like to think that we are open to that, that potentially if we were convinced by a series of arguments, then we could be those people who are converted and then became the next preacher. So I just wanted to throw that out if, to ask if that sounds legitimate or not. Well, I think that everybody is a potential convert, you know, no matter how they start or what their journey is. But, you know, it's ultimately up to... Because you believe the Spirit could have spoken to us. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, there's a text that talks about spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Mm -hmm. And so it even talks about the natural mm -hmm. man does not receive the things of God. So I think that in every case, the Holy Spirit has to do a work as people are willing to be led. But a lot of people just close their minds to it and the Spirit of God can't reach them. So I think a lot of it depends on a person's willingness to be receptive and feeling a need in their life for something more than they mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's really, I'm disappointed you guys weren't there for my testimony, but that's really what did it for me is wanting a lot more in life than I had. My mm -hmm. life was pretty empty, even though on the outside it looked like, you know, I had a full life. Yeah. It wasn't right. like I was a bum in the gutter on his last leg. I, you know, I, I had a good career, good friends, lived in a nice house, was it paying my bills and went on nice vacations, you know, living what you might consider the American dream, but there was still a real emptiness Right. that... I discovered only God could fill, so. We're too happy. Yeah, I, I don't think we're coming from a place where we're discontent in life or we feel like we're missing answers to anything particularly mm -hmm. pertinent. Right. Yeah. So but, that, that's but fair. That but you may find, you may feel that way at some point, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, what I really appreciate, David, though, is you're not writing us off as having come in closed-minded or mm -hmm. hostile. I mean, I really appreciate that, you know, because we really... Like Ross is saying, I mean, we still, we have fun with these topics. You know, we laugh at the things that we think are funny or kooky. But, right. but but it's true. We both hope that we would notice truth when we saw it. And that that's what we want to find. So, And of course, we didn't do any of that in the lectures themselves. That wouldn't have been the appropriate place for us to react quickly oh, and loudly with our own. <laughs> right. And I appreciate you not. <laughs> of course. Being as vocal as some people in the audience. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, that's croaky. And I appreciate the fact you didn't fake a conversion, you know, just to see what would happen if you like got baptized, became a member, but really in your heart didn't want to be. So I appreciate you not doing that, mm. you know. We went to one church, the Tony Alamo Ministries, which I have no hesitancy calling a cult. Yeah. And they didn't give us the choice. They physically grabbed us by the arms and yanked us up to the altar call. 
And I remember thinking, well, if that's the rules of the game, then nothing I can do about that. And then, so did you go? So thank you for not doing that. There was no oh, option. I yeah, want I your mean, arm broken, so you went. I, right. <laughs> I would have had to frog <laughs> we were, march to go the yeah. opposite direction. So what benefit is it really at the right. end of the day? And then they just said, repeat after me. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Yeah, I mean. And did you do it? Yeah. So we were sort of forced into saying the sinner's right. prayer, right. which well, then what does it even mean? You know what they say, a man convinced the guests as well is of the same opinion still. So. Right. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Precisely. So, did either of you get a chance to um, watch the Blueprint Earth's final movie yet? I have not yet, but I have or, it. Or read the whole Great Controversy. I'm working on the Great Controversy. The Great Controversy, I confess, is a little bit of a slog for me. It's, I did read all of the Richest you, Caveman. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I'm, that's okay. I'm about a joy. 50 pages into the Great Controversy, and it's long it's uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know but uh, great is in the title ross yes it is yeah you know i'm gonna withhold judgment until i read oh, the whole thing that's a good answer i'm gonna i'm gonna keep reading uh yeah I, you know i just obviously she was writing for a different audience that had a different attention span and appreciated a different style of writing but it's very flowery it's very yeah. extended and it will take well here's one critique i can offer at this point is that there will be one small passage in the bible and she'll read a lot of intention into it and kind of tell us more of a story than I think is in the text. And again, to our earlier point, the text could have put there if that was something important or something. So so that is the work of a prophet, I guess, is that yeah. you are sharing new information. Mm. But at the same time, it's definitely new information. Well, and keep in mind for the Great Controversy in particular, which anybody can find online for free from Ellen White, keep in mind that it basically is a study of the last 2,000 years of history and how it lines up with prophecy. Hmm. It would necessarily include a lot of extra biblical information that didn't happen yet in the Bible. So in other words, it's, it's okay. a history of the Protestant Reformation, which postdates the period of the Bible where the prophets mm. told what would happen in advance, but they didn't have as much information as we now right. have through history. Right. At the beginning, there's a lot of discussion about the destruction of the temple. So that's yes. a part that I've read through. And okay. I... But then she starts talking about how paganism started creeping into the church mm-hmm. and how the church went bad. Yeah. The church gone wild, if you will. <laughs> Right. During the dark ages. But part of her job then would be to prove that those things that have happened were predicted in the text. Right. 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 So I I I guess the question is how well is she doing that? What might be helpful in reading The Great Controversy is to first... And maybe you've seen the movie, The Revelation, The the Bride, The Beast in Babylon, which you can find on YouTube. Amazing Facts puts it there for free. But that's kind of like a two-hour documentary that summarizes the great controversy. We both got to watch that one. Yeah, we did. Yeah, okay. Well, that's kind of... A distillation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, is there anything that you would want to say to our listeners that you feel like we didn't cover either in our episodes or in this conversation? Yeah, I mean, for your listeners that really genuinely want to know more information and and if they really feel like they want to be on a spiritual journey as opposed to, I just want to listen to a show and and laugh along with jokes made and holes that have been poked into arguments made. But if someone's really sincerely wanting to know more and do more of a search of God, is the Bible really true? I mean, because I find prophecy to be a very powerful tool that I believe proves the Bible as the word of God, as I see how these prophecies have been fulfilled so accurately, at least I think so. I don't believe a human could have predicted that in advance. But um, I would just encourage your listeners to do further study. And like I've mentioned, Amazing Facts has some good resources. And um, even just reading the 28 Fundamental Beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, 
you know, where can they find those? Just go online, put in 28 fundamental beliefs. Okay. And it tells you what Adventists believe. It's all up front. Cool. There's no secret Perfect. handshakes. There's no, <laughs> I've reached the 33rd degree and now there's no information or, <laughs> oh, now I can become a God of my own religion or my own world. You know, there's no surprises like that. Yeah. I don't think Seventh-day Adventism at all falls within that category of religions that restrict or hide information until you get to certain levels. Well, right. until you get I, to the sixth seminar. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, the few times women came up to me with their jewelry, it was usually like so cosmetic. It was never worth anything. And I, uh-huh. I, I think was I kept- like a Fitbit? Or wedding ring? Oh, a Fitbit. It uh, attracts your steps. I'm at 4,500, oh, oh, okay. David. Okay. Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> so it's not like, I mean, the it's one or two good. I think I've kept, I don't even know where they are, but I just kept them as like- souvenirs or as an example uh-huh. you know of surrender and i didn't sell them and make money off oh, of it yeah. it's not a, you know did we joke about that or something yeah oh, i'm not okay. trying to if shake we did i think we were joking not, but yeah okay, probably <laughs> i think you mentioned popula or what was his name oh pop off peter pop off yeah peter pop off oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah which is another category that you do not fit in nor yeah, anybody yeah. from amazing facts <laughs> definitely i finally got my first donation request from amazing facts ah. did i tell you that yes, yes you, you mentioned did. it on the last podcast okay yeah but yeah it was a very soft request definitely not out to get money yeah no money yeah, grubbers sure. yeah whereas and he's a legitimate scumbag sorry though we interrupted what you were saying it's been enlightening having you guys come to the meetings and yeah well, we you're are, a we really are, good guy david you oh, are thanks. and thanks. we <laughs> we like you and and I, I hope that came across on the show we really yeah, do like yeah. you we like everyone we met lowell's fantastic gill's fantastic all right man in the gold suit maybe not so much <laughs> i think he means well i'm sure he does absolutely again but just if you were here joke. he would shout into the microphone with some of his own commentary and take over everything but i really appreciate that you're willing to follow up with us and continue the conversation and i do hope we get to find doug bachelor's cave together oh let's go to the cave well if you're ever back in your stomping grounds in Sacramento. You should come to church with me and you can meet him for yourself. Okay. Yeah, he's really a nice, humble guy and not as crazy as he probably once was when he lived in the cave. Okay, I would use the word kooky. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's got a very unique and different past, but you know, that's part of his appeal. Yeah. People see him as a normal guy who has an interesting background and just didn't go the typical route of someone that's a preacher right you know oh yeah where you go through all this formal education and seminary and all that but he just has a way of relating to the the common person you know with common sense approach so richest caveman is oh she loved that oh boy it's at the top of my list of my it's very experience very different huh oh boy (laughs) it is everyone should read the richest caveman yeah it's a good time you haven't read it yet i have not oh you're in for a Okay. And we'll continue to, I'm going to continue to watch and absorb and I'm I'm not done yet. Awesome. I wish both of you well. Thank you you so much. All right. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our show is produced and co-edited by Ian Kramer. You can find us on Facebook. That's where we post pictures and you can like us and talk to us and we'll post links to some of the things David has talked about. Yeah. And you can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash donate or you can go to AmazingFacts.org. Is that right? Yes. 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 (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Sorry, you caught me off guard. No, that's okay. <laughs> Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes or call us names. Yeah, if you want to. Yeah, that's the place to do it, man. And remember. Here's one more quote. Just remember, a man with his health has 100 goals. A man without his health has only one goal.
Mugs, shirts, stickers, patches, tanks, and more are yours for the purchasing at MaxFunStore.com. Hey, you already love the podcasts, so why not take this to the next level and outfit your home and bod with our merch? MaxFunStore.com. Because if you have to wear a shirt, it should be one of ours. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.